mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling 100% stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and what? I'm also feeling playful. Uh, and that is because we are about to meet the most extraordinary artist who has been making work over four decades or something, like incredible body of work. And I first became familiar with her work via the collector from London, Valeria Napoleoni, who had an amazing wall painting of that very phrase, 100% stupid, in her home in London. I think she even then moved to New York, maybe, and put it in her New York apartment. But it's like a kind of hand-painted wall mural that says that phrase, but in a very joyful kind of pop arty kind of playful uh, text mm. and I'm just a massive fan of the artist's work ever since then because I've, I've explored through numerous shows even just through the internet like uh, seeing different installations and the kind of humor but also the the interpersonal the kind of the, the family connections the the everyday moments that to some people might just seem like a bit silly or a bit like overseen and forgotten but are actually really important parts of what what make us human mm. and the connections we have to each other and the kind of I don't know, even like a mother transferring money to their child to like help them, I don't know, get a deposit for buying a house or something. Like these very kind of like mundane things that are often very private too, which then become super public and literally permanently painted on a wall. Mm. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art one of our heroes, Lily, Lily Van der Stoker. Hi, Lily. Hi. Hi. How are you? It's so good to see you in London. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time since I was here. It's nice to be back. Yeah, so we're currently sat in the Camden Arts Centre. Which we love. Yeah, this which is one of our favourite institutions in London. <laughs> that is also free for everybody listening. Yeah, and it's in um, near Finchley Road in uh, Arkwright Road. And we are here because you are currently installing a massive exhibition across three really large galleries and even the hallway. You're kind of using every part of the gallery possible um, for a big solo show that's just about to open. So what does it feel like to be here with all your technicians installing? Um, despite that um, every morning I wake up or during the night thinking about uh, the strategic and, and practical part, how to get it all on the wall in the, in the right time, and every day I have to solve all kind of creative problems. Nevertheless, it's a feast to be here. Yeah. yeah, it's a feast to, if you just imagine that all this preparation and all these people that work together 
to to get all these artworks uh, done or how do you say that uh, installed they are installed to uh, because then uh, to bring them to life because before they are like small designs on a piece piece of paper and i have much more uh, designs on paper than i have then I have them installed on a wall. So if yeah, if you are invited for a big solo show, uh, yeah, and then I'm older, so now I get uh, I'm less and less energetic. I have to make bigger and bigger shows. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different. Yeah. What you mean? What to kind of push yourself to test your body? You you go for bigger shows now when you feel like your body's telling you to go smaller. No, no, it's not that I want that I should be smaller, but I have less energy than thirty years ago, and now the shows that I'm being asked for are bigger and bigger. Yes, yeah, I, I used to make a, a solo show in a gallery, one wall painting, ten drawings. That was already a big deal, but now I have ten wall paintings, and that is not so. That's a lot of work. You've got such uh, a body of work. And you actually have an amazing team helping you. There's people yeah. here um, from, well, well, you can tell us, but they're, they're helping you to actually create all these wall paintings. Yeah, I have this fantastic group of all women. I used to work with one assistant, Jan. He was fantastic. And we worked together on the wall paintings for 25 years, together with my partner, Jack. We would always drive with the car everywhere in Europe and then do everything together. But now the wall paintings are bigger and bigger. And Jan has announced that he wanted to retire. He's mm. my age. And he, a few years ago, he he, said he retired from uh, his job with me. And now I have a whole group of uh, young women that help me. And, uh, and yeah, there's a fantastic team. And... And I think they also, they, they really like what they do because otherwise you can't do this. And uh, so it's a real sort of uh, group, Gesamtkunstwerk. Uh, or my boyfriend even said this week, oh, he said, you are some sort of conductor, like an opera or like, because uh, you're not the boss. He said, you are the conductor. And then all these people together, they make you make this Big artwork. Huh? I think it's like a girl band. It's like the Pussycat Dolls, and you're you're the lead singer, and you have all these all these backing yeah, dancers yeah, and singers yeah. that travel around with you. Because when I see your work, I think girl power. There's something I think of the Spice Girls. I, I think of the pow- Powder Puff Girls. I think of this Maybe. really this real like feminine energy that goes through the work and a celebration of being a girl and a celebration of the girly yeah. things that you know as as women you're told. Or as men, we're told that it's very binary. That belongs to women, that belongs to men. But this, the thing that you're doing is that you're making it universal and making it incredibly exciting and making us appreciate that. Yeah, you mean the, the, the feminine. Yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This. But I, I wanted to make, uh, tell you some little anecdote about the male and female assistants. Because I remember many, many years ago, I was in south of England, Southampton, making a big installation of wall paintings together with uh, Sol Witt and also some British artists and Robert Berry and uh, all these uh, artists from the 60s. And then there was the local school, the art school, all kind of people wanted to help to install this big wall painting show. So I was, I had some guys were helping me because the guys were like the first ones who were yeah, I could say pushed forward to be able to help. 
with the wall paintings. But then I had two young guys to help me with my wall paintings. I was making Love Goodness uh, pink uh, wall painting that went... Uh, <laughs> pointed like... Uh, yeah, pointed in, in up in the air with lots yeah. of flowers and purple. And, uh, and then uh, the guys helped me. And obviously they didn't feel that this was their kind of work. <laughs> and and I, I could see that they were a bit bored because they couldn't paint little flowers, little clouds. And one of the guys said, you know what? I sent my girlfriend tomorrow. And then the girlfriend came the next day and without me explaining what to do, she was just perfect. She could really do it because she loved the the shapes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I found out, oh, I slowly, slowly found out I have to have assistants that relate to the subject matter and that they love the shapes because it's quite difficult to be on a ladder and and paint for hours and hours. It's kind of, you could say it's boring, but for other people who like what they're doing, it's the opposite of boring. So I found out that in the end, my best team is is mainly women. Like in Paris, I had the same situation with uh, that two young guys were going to help me and then they didn't really like it and they would go every time they say well we go smoke a cigarette outside and then they would disappear for hours and then at some point a woman from because i was in centre pompidou and it was uh, in the hallway and mm. then uh, many people passed by and there was one and i had shortage of assistance so at one point there was a woman coming from the uh, audience and she said, could I help you? And I said, sure. And she was fantastic. And she yeah. helped me the rest of the time. It's, yeah. The energy upstairs, is, you could like almost drop a pin in there at the moment because there's so much focus and precision and meticulous. It's kind of meditative in a sense, like painting on the, on the walls. And it made me think a bit of like the Sistine Chapel or something or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like a kind of an organisation of a group of artists coming together in order for a greater goal. Yeah. Um, what, what actually led you to, to working on the wall? Like what, what was it that sparked that kind of thought to begin with, like way, way, way back? There are various reasons. Uh, I think one of the reasons is a kind of practical one. I think I was in New York in the late 80s and my relationship, I had a relationship with Jack, Jack Yeager, and he had an apartment on Lafayette Street. And I had just, in the time that I had finished my because I had an artist-run gallery in the early 80s, and I finished that. I moved in with Jack, and I was making works on canvas, but at some point they didn't fit in the now yeah, living room. It was a very small room. didn't fit in the room anymore. And plus I didn't feel like going to work all day in a, in a side job to be able to pay for a studio that some of my friends or colleagues were doing. I just wanted to be at home. And at some point I asked Jack and I said, can I paint on the wall? And he said, go right ahead. And I started to paint on the wall instead of uh, on a big canvas. I may, was that naive maybe? I, I didn't think of a, a material products that, are, that I could sell or anything. Didn't think about that at all because was so young and I had no career. Yeah, so I thought, yeah, no, why not paint on the wall? I make a picture and paint over it. That's how simple it was. Because that's what I was had been doing before. I would paint, paint on canvas, then make a picture of the canvas piece, put it in my portfolio, and then the big canvas was a real uh, pain in the ass because where to leave the canvas? 
And <laughs> like, where do you store it? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I do think that, yeah, another thing about wall painting choice is that as an art student, where I went to art school, I uh, chose for painting. I had, was in the painting department and another department was monumental design. And I think I'm actually doing exactly what I was teached to do. And right, that is, right, right. I'm making now monumental paintings. <laughs> but, um, but I always had a, an, an interest in this monumental aspect. And I do think that with wall painting, you're possibilities are endlessly bigger and more interesting than they are with a square canvas that is sort of, uh, how you say that, a window to a reality. But mine, the wall paintings are, yeah, you, if you look closely, you see that many of my wall paintings are standing on the ground. And um, I don't very often have floating wall paintings. Mm-hmm. And so the standing on the ground of the pieces is, I guess, uh, I like it because it is relates to the visitor who's also standing on the ground. And yeah. So people come into your <laughs> exhibition, I think you've referred to them as wall tattoos, but I guess they're transfers and the fact that they do go up on the wall, there's so much work goes into them and then they get painted over. And I guess as a viewer, as a visitor of the audience, I always question, is there some pain in the work that goes into it, and then it's just painted over, that you have to get over as the artist. I mean, that's obviously something that you have got over, but as a visitor, as someone that is all about, you know, as a collector, archiving, protecting, you know, for generations to see, for it just to be a temporary thing, it challenges me and my perception of the art. I feel sorry for the painting that it will be gone at some point. Yeah, it's true. It's a bit sorry. But then... Yeah, for me, it's kind of nice as well because I don't have to take anything with me and I have only photograph. Yeah, that's a bit of shame because the photographs are never so good as the real piece. But then just imagine I could never have a canvas or a, pro- a piece for art that is like five meter high by six meter wide. That is impossible, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so that is the advantage. But then the, and the disadvantage is that I never see the work again. But yeah, it's kind of nice too because then I have I I'm I, I just leave it behind. And my gallerist in in New York in the very beginning, he would tell tell me that my work was very uh, environmental friendly in that sense. But yeah, on the other hand, I have to fly everywhere. So, but that, <laughs> but that uh, that's uh, that's an interesting thought as well. It's also this idea of the journey of an artwork. So, like the finished result isn't necessarily the whole artwork it's like conceptual. the journey for the, yeah like the conceptual journey of getting to that point and also the priority in a way over the idea because the idea still exists even if the wall painting's gone do you know what i mean yeah yeah the, the idea is still there well is that so yeah uh well the thing i only have a photograph and uh after the exhibition if there is a good photograph otherwise the work is lost yeah Mm. But, but a lot of these paintings we're seeing have been repeated in previous exhibitions, right? Because mm. you're, you're one of the Netherlands' most celebrated artists. And, and have any of these works been seen in, in your own country and now we're seeing them here for the first time? Or yeah, Some of the, I think, three of the wall paintings in the Camden Art Centre I did before, but the other ones are all newly made. Right. Newly made doesn't mean they are from now, but... Let's say these are wall paintings from 20 years ago or ideas that I only install now. So how many times can a wall paint or has a wall painting been 
would you call it recycling or I guess environmentally oh, yeah. friendly going back to that? But how many times has the reinstalled? Reinstalled. reinstalled. Yes, yeah, some like I have one wall painting from '92 uh, titled "Wonderful," and that one we did many, many times. And we sold it also several times. So how does it work when you sell that? Does your team go and install it in someone's house? Yes, that's how it goes. Yeah, this summer there was a wonderful painting sold to a, to a collector in Los Angeles. And he had it installed in his living room above the couch. And then uh, Amelia, my assistant, who is upstairs, she's from New York, and she went there to do it. And then we talked together on the FaceTime. Yeah, yeah we, and then we, and then she's projecting, and I say, no, no, a little bit up, a little bit up, a little bit to the right, and uh, now, yeah, that's uh, how it goes. And how, how does it change each time? For example, if you see the word wonderful, like that installation, have you seen it in many different environments? And does the work sort of evolve, grow for you personally? No, this, oh, yeah, for me. Yeah, the work, this, this piece, wonderful, is in quite simple work. So that in itself has really stayed the same. If I see it again, then, oh yeah, this is a work I made in 1992. It's a long time ago. And now also in the, in the Kamna Art Center, we have a work from 1994. And that's a little weird to see that uh, the use of my color from then. Yes. But I think I, the, the, every day I pass, I walk by and I think, ooh, those are very bright colors. I I don't I didn't remember that it was that bright. <laughs> so that is kind of a, a strange thing. Yeah. How do you record the colors? Because sometimes paint changes over time, doesn't it? Like what's available, pigments. Yeah, I was actually wondering if I did my archive work correctly. But the thing is that I keep an archive of all the wall paintings we did. Yeah. And then with all the wall paintings. Um, each wall painting has a, a few pages with all the samples of the paint. And I do that already since uh, the mid-90s. Mid so. Wow. Is it, it, are there permanent wall paintings of yours in the world, or is all of your wall paintings temporary? Some are, are more... I uh, stay, stay for a longer time, yeah. yeah. But then, for instance, in Holland, there was one in the museum, in the Tyler Museum in Haarlem, and then it was said, well... This we will install forever. Yeah. And then I asked, how long is that forever? And they said, well, maybe 10 years, right. maybe 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not, it feels like forever in the moment, but the reality is that forever. <laughs> I think people come into your shows will see that they're, as well as the wall pieces, there's also a celebration of the white space. It feels like you are someone that loves a lot of space and white walls of the White Cube Gallery. Is that true? Did you read this somewhere? I heard you do an online talk about it, and it says that you really like the white space that's between the works. Um, do I like the white space? Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I do, I guess. Yeah, because there, there seems to be a lot of space between works. Yeah, that's strange. Because is, it, is that really so? Because look at these artworks here on the wall. You see there is a, a framed drawing here, but then you see just as much space next to that drawing, which is a meter drawing, a meter space. If my wall painting would be six meter wide, do you see six meter on both sides? You no, mean, you don't. Oh, you don't? No, oh, no, because, yeah. no, because the wall painting is upstairs. You see a wall painting of six meter wide, and then you see three meter in between before you go to the next wall painting. Yeah, so, so actually they're interacting with each other. 
Now, yeah, yeah, that's another another story. But uh, but there's not because that is sometimes I have that in group group shows mm. that people think that they can easily put other artworks works next to mine, right. and then I am a bit uh, irritated because. Yeah, if uh, other other artworks have much more white space around them uh, mm -hmm. than mine usually, mm -hmm. and my artworks are very often used as decoration for other artworks. Right, bad. that's not right. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> We need to give your work the space uh, it needs. I I do remember in Switzerland that I was in a group show and I had a big mummy wall painting, and then they kept putting uh, Jeff Koons right in front of it. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Um, yeah, the, the, no, yeah, whatever. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned in the introduction about this idea of family and kind of the personal um, anecdotes and memories that seem to float on the walls within your installations. Can you speak a bit about how that came to be? Like, were you always very kind of, because to me, they feel very honest, very kind of like looking back at yourself in a mirror and being quite self-aware in a way of what's going on in your life. Is that is that how you see it, or are they more general or universal to you? Uh, you mean sub all the subject matter of the, the everyday, and yes. the text that I put in my art about family and yes. money and administration. These are nice subject matters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. So I discovered them slowly, slowly. And each time I thought, whoa, that's a nice subject matter, like making art about administration, administrative tasks that you do every day, like uh, transferring the rent or calling the, calling the telephone company because your service contract is uh, something messed up. <laughs> And then, so at some point I thought, you know what, I'm going to write these things down and just do it uh, randomly, pick out something and make it into an artwork and... I call it then administration art. And there's one wall painting in the Compton Art Center that art center that has a sentence like that in it, or actually two, two. The I call it the loan, and the other one is called income tax paper. Now, yeah, they have sentences, and they are like, and now we calling it uh, trivial information. Mm -hmm. So in fact, I am elevating these. Uh, mundane things in, with lar very large wall paintings and I'm using the, the, the doodly kind of text that you do when you are very private on a piece of paper and when I enlarge them they are still having the smallness but the smallness is being enlarged mm. and also I'm elevating the subject matter of the everyday and um, Yeah, like the, the, what I said, in this case, the money, or I had the money in administration, or I have, and also the subject of, uh, it started with the Jack and Lily series in uh, 80, no, 98, I can't pronounce it, <laughs> 1998 and 1999. Yeah. In those years, I started, I had the, the period behind me was all optimistic and positive works and very pink and very curly. And then suddenly another subject matter came into my life. I started to make, and I call them uh, the name pieces. And the name pieces is uh, first the series, the series of, I call them the Jack and Lily series. I'm, I started to make 
drawings about my partner and me, Jack and Lily, and how old we were and how long we lived together. And then I found a note on my table. And then I thought, oh, it says Lily is, uh, no, yeah, Lily is, uh, I don't know, uh, 41. Jack is, uh, no, that, that doesn't, it's not correct. Lily is, uh, no, yeah, some ages. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, I wrote it down three years ago but I'm going to make an artwork of it now. So I'm not changing the ages because this is an artwork. Right. So why make the ages correct? Because I don't have to tell the truth mm. because that's what I figured out years before that an artist does not have to tell the truth. You can be faking and cheating <laughs> just as much as you want because that is, oh yeah, that's a very interesting discovery. So mm. I did the same with the, with the name pieces. So, and then I figured out that there's a whole, um, if I use text in my work, I can communicate nonsensely with my, the, with the viewer. And I can tell the truth, I can tell not the truth, but there is a lot of expect, expectancy. Uh, people expect you to tell the truth. And yeah, people, if you put names on the wall, they think, they think automatically that I do that because I'm, I'm friends with those people. But what if I'm not, you know? So that, those are all kind of expectations, uh, which is very interesting. So the text normally always comes first? Mm, both, both. But I have like uh, stacks of notepapers and, and, and books filled with text and, and ideas. And I, I have nonstop ideas, ideas for shapes and ideas for text. And then, and then sometimes I go through them again and again. And then sometimes I think, oh, oh. Oh, I forgot that. Oh, let's do something with that. So, so the shape, the shape will come out of the text, and the text can come out of the shape. They, they, Both. they work with each other. Both, yeah, yeah. And Both. and the lying about dates and stuff in the work. What does that give you as an artist? Because I, I find that fascinating that you would project a work into the future of being made, or you would play around with you know ages that aren't factually correct but they may be at some point or may have been in the past yeah you can fake everything like fake arguments fake fake well, anything what does that give you as an artist what is that it gives you total freedom because that's kind of what you do as an artist and you work on a piece of paper what i do and this is what i figured from the beginning is that the piece of paper is like an endless horizon it gives you total freedom for all your ideas and all your sinks uh, of because when I draw them, then I know I can enlarge them. So in my mind, I have already enlarged them, but they are on the paper very small. And then, uh, yeah, and also because as an artist, uh, you're also reading and looking at other art, and so many things are possible. And the and when I was a much younger artist, you 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 are um, you are stuck with all kind of ideas uh, what art can oh, be or right. should be. And then in my early years, I questioned this uh, a lot, and I still do. But now I am kind of stuck with all my art that I did in the past. <laughs> so it's it, it's. Uh, and then uh, now stuck sounds very negative. I I really like that. <laughs> I really like that. I'm stuck with all my yeah. art because I can go back to it all the time and and dig up old ideas. And that's really I'm very grateful for that. That my old ideas seem to I can still 
show them and yeah. I still like them myself. I think they're still worthwhile or... 100%. Do you look at other artists that work on the wall? You said about the show in Southampton with Sol LeWitt, who is an artist who does a lot of wall-based pieces yeah. and sell, sold work for... He wasn't even, the artist wasn't even present, but he sold a work and you would draw it on your own wall. And artists like Keith Haring, who makes big murals, you are, for me, a pop artist. Yeah. Absolutely. A radical, or well, not radical, but a feminist conceptual pop artist, I think you've been described as. Yeah, I said that myself. Yes. Really. <laughs> you've described yourself as a, yeah, yeah, it a was, feminist it was, conceptual pop artist. It was artist. interesting because I was doing an interview with John Waters and he was such a funny interviewer. And then he asked me, and it just came out. It just came out. Yeah, well, it makes total sense. And John yeah. Waters is a big collector of your work, a big champion. No, yeah, I think he brought two drawings, but... No, no, no. He's uh, no, no. But he's uh, he has always been quite supportive. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. So, are you looking at like the work of Solar Wit and Keith Haring and artists that are doing a lot? Keith of... Haring was kind of uh, a very early influence. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you can see that here in this book. This book I just came out. This ah, there week. we go. How I went to oh, New wow. York. How so, I went to New York. See, and you're based between Amsterdam and New York. You have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have my apartment there, but now the last two years I wasn't there. But Because uh, of the pandemic? Yeah, let's say it was the pandemic. It's an amazing thing with your practice, and I think you spoke about this and other people have, that it is the celebration of the banal. You've just taken that book out of the packet. Yeah, I'm opening books. This is... <laughs> um, it's, it's a celebration of the banal, the everyday, the overlooked. Um, but during the pandemic it suddenly became even more relevant because these are the things, the interactions that we have on a daily basis that we suddenly missed. And, and them, them kind of small mundane exchanges had absolute importance more than ever. Yeah, yeah, but that... Uh, yeah, that I don't see so much that my, uh, my exhibition relates to that. I don't see that because the thing is... All these works I made already long before we yeah. had Corona. So yeah. yeah, you can read into them. Yeah, I guess with so, an, yeah. With yeah, an, yeah. Uh, like another filter now, like yeah, yeah. yeah. like an outcome. You of can it. project uh, that subject matter on it, but that, but then I did not make it because of Corona. No, exactly. So, no. Yeah. Tell us about the book, Rob. Yeah. So what what has this been like putting this book together? Because this must have been quite emotional in some way to look back. Because this seems to have so much documentary like material as well as photographs from from your first trips to New York I guess. Yeah, yeah, this I I wrote it in during corona times this book mm -hmm. and now I must say it it came uh, it was on the table this week and then I I I wrote all that I mean I I read that text for for like 30 times this whole book so now I'm a little bit fed up with it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I think oh all my private things are on the table. Wow. But uh but it's uh, the book is about uh, how I went to New York as a young girl, and and how I started my artist-run gallery in the East Village. That was in the Lower East Side, yeah. In Lower East Side yeah. in the eighties, yeah. and then uh, what was that like as as you know as a woman going over there at that time, opening an artist-run space? How was that? Yeah, this I somewhere in the book I write that it is like being. Uh, being like homeless but then I had I had a gallery because I slept there and I did not have much money but uh, but um, 
yeah, it was almost like being homeless. Mm. And you were yeah. showing your own work and other people's work. Because uh, it was like, yeah, I have worse pictures. <laughs> because we would drag mattresses from the street. Really? And, they, and then later throw them out because that I never do again. Because mattresses on the street are full with bugs. Oh, no. <laughs> like bed bugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then, uh, oh, yeah, but it was really interesting time, of course. And quite uh, uh, initiative. Quite an initiative to be like 28 or 29, I was, and to be in New York and then just open a gallery. But it was not commercial at all because I didn't know anything about galleries or, but um, yeah. So that the book is about that. And I think maybe for young people, it will be good to read. Because I think when I was young, I also wanted to read artist biographies. Yeah. And uh, so I'm talking about all the stuff that happens to me and, uh, and then how I met Jack um, and later how I met Hudson, my gallerist in New York. And, uh, and then the book stops in 92 when I started to have exhibitions. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting the idea of setting up your own space because I often say to younger artists, they say to me, how do I get a gallery to represent me? All this kind of stuff. And I always say to them, it's good to like focus on your peer group, but also try and make your own opportunities. Do you think it's really important as an artist to somehow try and make your own, not, not necessarily a gallery, but to find space or to exhibit with like-minded people, like your friendship group, rather than worrying about the big successful art world outside? Yeah, exactly. That is really, really very important to do it that way. And but yeah, there's many ways to do it. But it's true in those days, I was also surrounded by other artists that were like walking around and uh, go to an opening. And if they could even find oh, a glimpse of that gallery, oh, he looked at me and I thought, no, this is not how I'm going to do that. So, so but then, um, but then I, 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 how did I do it? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. It just uh, came to me at some point. I, say, I do. I, I have a nice anecdote in the book, and it is about um, my neighbor Colin the Land. Colin the Land. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was my gal. He opened his gallery in the same same time as I did, ah. and uh, but he was like a, a hero, like, a, and we were like peanuts. But they had like, uh, but nevertheless, I did, I, we did shows too. And then, yeah, but we really loved him. His shows were the best. And, uh, and, um, and when I closed my gallery, uh, then I started to, yeah, what? Yeah, of course, I knew him. So at some point I thought, you know what? I'm going to show my paintings too. Because I felt, oh, I, I, maybe I have to find a gallery to show, to show work. And then, um, so I asked Colin if I could come by and show some of my works. And I remember sitting at that big table and, he, and I had my little paintings with me. And then that time I made all these paintings and I, and I had all these doodle things on it. And then and in the right lower corner, I signed all my paintings with the word good. Because I had figured that you are an artist, you have to make good work. And you have to be a good person. And I thought, let's put the word good under it. And then I showed it to Colin. And he looked at it and he said, good? 
it was a very interesting moment. I didn't get a show with him, but I thought it was really amazing. That, that, that moment that I showed him my good paintings and that he couldn't figure out what does that girl mean with his, her good? <laughs> <laughs> he was like bemused. There was like a tension or something. Yeah, yeah. There's one of those good paintings. So yeah, but you can take this out. It's uh, yeah, one of those good paintings. In, in the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because I, I was... Yeah, it's a beautiful book. It's published by Le Presto Royale, who are really brilliant publisher. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm painting also. Oh, yes. Because uh, it's actually on one of the wall, wall murals now. Yeah, yeah I, the yeah. first wall paintings were... Oh, I remember Ken Brafala talking about Colin Deland. Oh. Mm. Yeah, Colin Deland, he died now, but yeah. uh, where's my little good paint? Oh, here, yeah, there's one put in. Oh, yes. Good. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, we'll have to get a picture of that and post good. it. Good. So what was that on? Was that on canvas? Yeah, this is a little painting uh, and this big. And I have a few of those older paintings also in the Camden show because Martin, the director, wanted to have, he called them the little little philosophical works. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to have them in. So I thought, oh yeah, whoopee, I'm doing that. Awesome. So, yeah. So I have a nice painting from uh, 91. It says, suggested directions. Yeah. Very nice piece. Brilliant. Yeah. You, you mentioned Very to us brilliant. earlier when we, when we walked around the, the space um, that you have one and a half thousand or more drawings and works on paper that you've made. So drawing is something that that is a big part of the practice. And even though they don't necessarily end up framed, it sounds like you keep a lot on hold. You archive it. You archive a lot of them. Yeah, I make a lot of them. And then if you make them, you could archive them. And yeah, that's what I started to do uh, two years ago. Yeah, I could also just left, leave them just in the closets. But lying around? Yeah, lying around. But now I started to photograph them. And, uh, and uh, so that was a very interesting process. And I started to write about them because, uh, yeah, I had my show in the Stedelijk Museum in uh, Amsterdam in 2018. Which was called Friendly Good. Yeah, friendly good, and that book is will be in the in the shop here. Yes. And then I had so much press, but then the press was writing so uh, superficial, and uh, there was also good press, but there was uh, yeah a lot of superficial writing. So when I was uh, archiving my drawings, I thought, oh maybe I should just write it down myself, what I think about it. So, so do, these drawings, do these drawings come out automatic? Are they something, or do, are you consciously trying to make something nice, something sweet? No, no, I'm never thinking I'm making something nice or something sweet. No, no. Yeah, this is a bit of kind of a cliche thinking about my work, or not cliche, it is maybe my early work, that, um, and I'm very proud of that work. Uh, where I discover the subject matter of sweetness. And uh, and that was really kind of radical to discover that and to decide to start doing something with that. Um, and, um, and that, uh, yeah, so that, uh, yeah, because I'm trying to go back to your question. Yeah, but this, uh, is, this is because we hadn't, as a subject, you hadn't really seen art about that. No, no, no. And also sweetness. I have three older brothers. And if my brothers would talk about women, they would and they would say a woman was sweet. It was actually a kind of hidden sexual, sexist remark. Mm. 
because a sweet woman was a willing woman. Or, so the sweetness was not just... Uh, so the, the word sweet was, had a lot of uh, meaning, all kind of different meanings. And, uh, but to start putting the word uh, uh, in my art uh, and to bring a whole new subject matter in, 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 in the art world, or, well, in my art to begin with, and then um, that was very exciting and and not scary. No, maybe not scary, but but uh, yeah, that was a, a big deal. And now, thirty years later, I can look back at it and I can talk about it. I can explain it. But then I couldn't because I was working more in a, on an intuitive uh, manner um, and starting to work with things that I thought. This is exciting. Why is a flower forbidden? Why, uh, if flowers have fluorescent colors and they look very positive, what is so? Why is this a forbidden language within our yeah. world? Yeah. So I, because I felt that because I was started to slowly show my work, and then people were making remarks. They would stand behind me and say, "Well, Lily, this is a very nice artwork, but those flowers, I wouldn't do that." And, uh, and that is how it triggered my, uh, my interest and in thinking, why is this such a forbidden symbol? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And, uh, and then my first wall painting in New York uh, friendly goods, then um, Hudson has sort of had dis- discovered me the old-fashioned way, and I had my first solo in New York, um, and my friendly good wall painting. Um, that was very exciting to put those words on the wall. And I remember walking around in New York, and again with Colin Delaney had a show of Roman Singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Swiss artist that does everything with uh, by making art by explosions, and I saw a whole exhibition by him. By let's say he had made a sculpture that he had made by shooting a bullet at it, or he had made another piece by uh, having a telephone uh, answering machine being exploded and the leftovers was an artwork. And I saw it and I thought, oh. If he can do that, then I can make a show about love and friendliness. Eh? Because he can make a show about violence. Oh, mm. okay. Because I had all these doubts because I thought, what the hell am I doing? You know, making an artwork saying friendly good. 
And then, uh, and that gave me the trust that this work was uh, was uh, valid, or it was valid. valid. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think yeah. you've said there's a quote saying that sweetness is not something to be ashamed of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because this is like, and it's still a very difficult subject matter. Still now, uh, I, I notice when people write uh, things about me that they still do as if it's something to be ashamed for, and I'm not. So this is, I'm proud of it. I'm proud that I, uh, I got the subject matter in, proud that I'm making, making art about it. And it's still fascinating uh, to see how it very easily becomes a negative thing. Yeah. Like for instance now, uh, because uh, there's an article going to be in The Guardian and the interview again was about why I don't like it to be called girly. And then I say, I don't want to be called girly because just be honest, just between you and me. If you call me girly, are you taking me seriously then? Is that, or if I have a male colleague of me and I call his art boyish art, ah, a nice boy who's making revolution, then that doesn't sound very complimentary or funny, you know? So if my art is called girly art, then I would love to be proud of that, but the opposite is the, is uh, is uh, the rea- the reality that uh, girly art is kind of a negative uh, uh, connotation. Yeah, yeah. Connotation. and it's a kind of a, like how language can undermine somebody's kind of status or place in society through the the loaded sort of meaning within all these words, because that's often like I, I sometimes think the superficial. You know, if you think of the word like. I don't know, brilliant, that I said earlier. Like, it might sound quite, like, simplistic, but actually there's real depth of emotion and depth of psychological kind of thinking and analysis behind everything that you're doing. Yeah. So it shouldn't be It's emotionally be charged. These yeah. terms you're saying, like, girly, is emotionally charged for yeah, you. Yeah, it's yeah, triggering and... yeah. I, I would rather say feminine yeah. or young woman. Yeah. Or, yeah, feminine or feminist or... And then another thing with the, the feminist thing is that... Uh, it seems that all my work is being uh, is being looked through that frame, mm. which is good and which is also less good because I my work has de- is dealing with a, a lot of other things as well. Yeah. But but yeah, but it's great that yeah now I must say suddenly in Holland we were joking that my work is like suddenly very woke, and. Uh, because, like, uh, I did an interview with some young woman in uh, Belgium, and they say, your book is lying on second shelf in the library of the academy in Antwerp. And second shelf, do you have that? No. Oh, second shelf means over there, this is a shelf for books of artists that have been disregarded or overlooked overlooked you say overlooked and i'm like oh yeah. wait a minute oh i was overlooked ha ah, okay yeah that's interesting but you're so, saying about this it, the the loaded use of language and the provocativeness like some of your works have words like sweetie pie and honey bun in which sounds sickly sweet but there is like a, a patronizing connotation like you're saying if you call a girl sweet you're saying something so they have this Instantly, when you look at them, you think, okay. And then if you actually sit with it, you understand that there is a deeper um, provocative nature to the text that's being chosen to be put up there. 
Yeah, but then to make art about uh, yeah, honey bunny I've never used, but in Dutch it's uh, schattenbolletje. Uh -huh. And uh, but then translated in English it would be honey bunny. That's true. Yeah, but that was in my early years, and I, I must say I loved making that yeah. because it's these are words that I would use in my private situation with my boyfriend. You know, yeah. we call each other uh, like like that, yeah. or like. Uh, uh, and I said somewhere in an interview, yeah, that that uh, that I would like I I give my boyfriend uh, every day uh, some kisses. So why not make an artwork about that? Right, because it's very important. Yeah. And uh, but then, um, so those the honey bunny uh, artworks from my uh, early years, uh, that was very exciting to visualize those and yeah. to and to make the, the curls and the. And I do remember in that time that I was thinking, oh, curls, curls. I, I would drool from making curly artworks but i knew in the same time that it was quite forbidden or what this was not how I was how i was brought up mm. or in the same time my colleagues my male colleagues and my female colleagues they would all make like other type art much more aesthetic hard-edged or yeah more hard-edged like real real yeah no, listen to me like real art like <laughs> 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 like real art like yeah, what, like, what's to be like, expected? What, yes, yeah, what, like what's, what's, what's the language yeah, really, of art? Really, yeah, 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 like really aesthetic. But I was never thinking of aesthetics because you say you said about pleasing, but pleasing is different. I was never thinking of aesthetics. I was much more thinking of content and of um, yeah, for instance, like uh, how to visualize uh, an artwork uh, titled Honey Bunny. So then you're not thinking of aesthetics because it has nothing to do with it. So aesthetics are really far behind. I'm mm -hmm. not. Uh, I'm not trying to make aesthetics works, but like a work like Wonderful is about aesthetics, mm -hmm. and it's about trying to make an artwork that looks that has be beauty as its subject matter. But then the beauty I was telling through diff in diff with different forms and with different colors. Because the wonderful is has standard colors that are the colors that a child has in in a little uh, I call it a little plastic etui etui is that an English word plain pot yeah Lovely. little plastic thing for a child and it has blue red it's like the basic like, colors like an abacus no. I don't know in English. like a little rainbow type thing or. I don't know the word in English. Etui, it's a little plastic thing with with the that you give a kid of six years old, and it has six the basic colors. Okay, like a color chart or something. Another card. They have like a few pencils, and they these are all the colors. It's it's blue, pink, green, yellow, but no black. Yes, yeah, so yeah. it's like primary colors. I guess. Primary colors, yes. but a different kind of primary colors than I learned in the art school. Right. Yeah. Right. And then uh, that's how I made the wonderful. Yeah. There's a lot of motifs that appear again and again and again in your work. We talked about the flower and there's hearts, there's looping lines, clouds, bubbles for speeches. Is there a, a hierarchy within your practice of, of when these motifs appear, of what's what they signify for you? In my older works, it, I worked with a lot of, uh, like this one here that says 1991. Mm -hmm. I worked with doodles and lines and I started from abstraction. Um, and in the 80s, um, 
I made a lot of line drawings and oh yeah, two of them will be here in the show and they are from 86 and it's a doodle painting or doodle, yeah, doodle painting and one says everything one and the other one says everything two. But the thing is that in that early work, I was very aware of uh, the rectangle uh, of the piece of paper. I was not designing wall paintings yet. Um, but I was very, let's say, I was very aware of the architecture of the artwork. And the architecture, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about the rectangle. And I figured, oh, a rectangle has a side, it has the square, and then it has the signature of the title in the lower right corner, and then it has the middle. And then, um, so really, there's nothing there, and I was brought up by minimalism, and um, and I, I I loved that, and I started to repeat uh, this minimalism, this the end game of abstraction, and uh, so I started to fill the space with nothingy doodles, with fluff, with everything that had no content. So I was reinventing nothing again and again, and then I slowly started to make. Um, more than doodles, because then I developed uh, like underlinings, exclamation marks, um, and then text. And then the text, um, I, saw, I discovered, oh, if I put in 1991 and it was 1998, mm. I thought, oh, this is not true. That's interesting. I can do that. Or I can put in like, uh, uh, what does it say there? Um, three possibilities. One nine eight. Yeah, yeah. So, what to think of that? You know. So there, there, I could just start. I felt I could communicate with the text, and it was, and I could uh, transform content very fast with the text, and then slowly, slowly, yeah, all kind of different text started to come out, and that's how I developed my work. Was it exciting when you create that vernacular? like your own language in a sense, because mm. with all these signs that you've created, as they build up, they become like its own vocabulary. Your own language. That yeah. you can yeah. then repeat as much as you want or go back to or yeah. excavate. Yeah, yeah. And if you see my early works, I think it's possible that we have a slideshow in Camden because uh, I photographed... Oh, yeah, I should have taken my iPad because I have it upstairs. It's all the photographs that are in my iPad. And um, um, so I, I, I organized them all chronological and also subject matter. And um, because you asked about the clouds and stuff, but the clouds and, the, and the, this doodly kind of shapes, that I started to do that in the very beginning. Mm. And so they all they're all coming from this desire to create nothing and uh, and to and to create nothing in all kind of ways and here I make mistake paintings yeah let's talk about the mistake paintings that yeah. process is really fascinating <laughs> to me I love, I love that work as well, particularly private mistake oh, yeah, yeah. what what is it what is a mistake painting yeah. for oh, yeah. you this, but this is the first drawing where I put the word sweet in it it means to be sweet to one another. Ah. So here, this work, I remember making this in New York. 1989. Uh, yeah. But and was then, it 1989 or was it? Yeah, it was, <laughs> oh, it was that one. Okay. Yeah, but the year is there, not here. Oh, okay. And then uh, there was a first, but this is like, doesn't have any meaning, but then to, 
that red word sweet that was important. Now, yeah. Anyway, but uh, no, you asked something. Let me some mistake paintings. Yeah, mistake paintings. That was uh, the same as discovering that I did not have to tell the truth in my artwork. I also realized I don't have to make uh, a successful artwork. I can also make mistakes, and and I realized that because at some point I made these mistake paintings because it's really I could just. I, I don't know English word. I could uh, just advise anybody, like in school for little kids, to start making ugly works or to start making mistakes. And then, because then it just totally frees your mind. And if you think, oh, I can do anything, I can just anything, if it's ugly or beautiful, doesn't matter. So it just totally frees you. And then, um, at one point in a drawing, uh, and I started to collect mistakes from other drawings and started to do them again, mm -hmm. uh, where everything where, where it went wrong, and then do them again. So I was repeating my mistakes and trying to make them even bigger mistakes or maybe or started to work from the mistakes and see what came out of it. And that was a very interesting process. And so, so that is a bit uh, the mistake paintings and... Uh, and I, and at some point I stopped with it, but then. Uh, but they must have taught you a lot because you used colours you didn't like. Exactly, or whatever. And then also I think what I discovered and and also what I talked about now, um, from the very early years, from the very early work on, I was very much dealing with beauty and ugliness because the mistake paintings were, let's say. Ugliness was being celebrated, but then the next day you saw your ugly work and then you started to like it. Mm -hmm. So ugliness and beauty are so close together. And that is a very, uh, uh, I say that's very uh, strong element in my work. Yes. It's there all the time. A conflict. No, not a conflict. It's actually more a celebration because I like ugliness and I like beauty. And then you realize that, that both of them don't, really exist or they you can just easily throw them away it's uh, it's it's, uh, it's if you make art and uh, it's there and it's not there it's uh, i think that's what i like so much <laughs> about the work though is that there's a sense that your inner voice like some people have it stronger than others but you can have a very like say strict inner voice that tells someone they're doing something right or they're doing something wrong do you know what i mean like almost like parental it starts with a parent it starts with like society and the police and the rules that are set up in a society and what i like in your work is this this kind of this sense of um admitting all of these different qualities to do with almost like um self-regulation or something so it's like things that you like you say that's a mistake but instead of tearing it up and throwing it away you face up to that mistake and you kind of reveal something you expose yourself yeah. i guess you're you make it's yourself like all the different facets the work is vulnerable human yeah yeah and in fact uh what happened was that i was making one of these drawings mistake uh painting and uh but maybe it didn't say mistake yet but I, I, uh, I crumpled it up 
put it in the garbage bin. And then the next day I thought, wait a minute, I'm taking it out. I, I flattened it again and I made it into a beautiful painting. So, um, and then I started to realize that uh, a mistake is maybe... It's maybe not a mistake. And then so nothing's pretty, ever a mistake. And, and, and pretty soon, and it's interesting because then my I had a, a homosexual couple in New York and they bought this painting, the mistake painting, and uh, they completely, yeah, this had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, not, not, it's gone yeah. on to have a life. Yeah. So, no, yeah. yeah, it was and it's loved, uh, but, but yeah. it was loved, yeah. yeah. But nothing, and, that means that nothing you make is a mistake. You yeah, but and and also I think sometimes I go to an exhibition and then I see a work of let's say Picasso and I think oh, maybe this was a mistake of him. Maybe <laughs> it was not such a good work. It was not a masterpiece. Maybe he had a just a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great so, to embrace the mistake. Em- yeah, embrace celebrate all the, the sides mistake. of ourselves. Yeah, because yeah. all those forgotten moments, even the one that's like I threw a party. Yeah, we're giving a large party because we've renovated part of our house. It's like, <laughs> it's like that would never normally be on the gallery. That would wall. never exist. And I love that it is because the journey through life, essentially. Yeah. You know what it is to be human. These moments are things that you might throw away that invite you know mm-hmm. what I mean like yeah but this is just the, the party uh, wall painting I also wanted to do that here in uh, Camden but then uh, we didn't do this one it's true that when I make that I realize or I question um, is this really art can I make an artwork about a party or just the, the superficial party scene or about the renovation of a house and I can, but uh, yeah, now I have one wall painting in here that in Camden that is similar because it is a wall painting about a birthday. That's that's very interesting. Can this be an artwork? And I still wonder. Um, and I remember one time I had a big show in Arnhem in the Netherlands and I showed only drawings. Mm. And then the, the opening had been, uh, we had had the opening then the audience came in, but this was, let's say, general public. And then I heard a woman say to uh, her husband, say, oh, Jan, come have a look. These all look like uh, birthday cards. And this was, that was my work. <laughs> <laughs> so meaning that an, if an artwork looks like a birthday card, then it's probably so low art that it doesn't uh, refer to anything quality that uh, the art world is supposed to have so it's very interesting it feels like you give yourself a lot of permissions at times you're always questioning yourself am i allowed to do this and you're the gatekeeper of your own creativity yeah yeah Yeah, that's true and then each time when i find another another thing that is supposedly not allowed or not allowed by myself even then again i think oh and maybe I should make art about it. Huh? Now, like in 2019, I make, made an exhibition about healthcare. Uh, that's another kind of really strange subject matter because that is, there are a lot of artworks made about health and diseases, but usually these are diseases that are deadly. Mm. You know, or wars, huh? wars, and all these very uh, AIDS, a lot of AIDS. Yeah, AIDS, oh, a lot of yeah. AIDS. But m- my uh, healthcare work is not about that. Uh, it's about uh, like my. It, I did two big wall paintings in Amsterdam, having the names of my physiotherapists in it, 
And so, and people came in and they thought they were the names of my psychotherapist. And I said, oh. no, 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 it's my physiotherapist, which is much lower on the scale of status, right? Yes. And so that was an interesting thing. So the, the, the physiotherapist, um, and then later in New York, I made an even bigger exhibition about healthcare where I put in the names of all the healthcare practitioners that I work with and also the of my partner's uh, health problems with his prostate and me with all my other stuff. And then I also put in a sculpture on which I had projected all the names of all the alternative medicines I use and the, and the daily prescription. And now, yeah. So that was quite, quite exciting to do. And it's not a negative exhibition. It's not like, oh, oh, all this misery. Uh, no, it's just a, an exhibition about trying to... Sh- give shape to this very ordinary subject. Well, everything matters for you in your life. You know, this, put, yeah. it's quite radical to put that up on the wall. We spoke to an artist the other day, Daisy Paris, and what blew their mind is that they saw somebody had an essay they'd wrote, and then they wrote it all on a big canvas work, and it blew their mind because they were like, oh, that art can be that. Hmm. And th- you writing, like, your ailments and the medication, that's so radical because... That isn't something you see in art. I even no, think the word, the word the rash, because you've got the word rash in this exhibition here in Camden. And the idea of the word rash being in an artwork, I love that. Like it's, oh, and you're right, it isn't, it isn't like, you know, artwork has been like pain and anger and there's no violence in your work. It's joyful. There's humour. There's so much humour in these, these curves, these curvaceous edges. They're, there could be violence in it because of the way that people... Print. That's so angry. Yes. Yeah, that's what a girlfriend of me said... Yeah, you make such sweet work that people get angry, angry at you. About. So that's in- that's interesting. Yeah, really. That is interesting. How, how do you feel about that? It's like provocative. In a sense. It is provocative. Yeah. yeah, how do I feel about that? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very proud of that work. And this is the... Uh, but, um, but it gives me also problems because I keep having to defend it and write about it. And also with this show... Um, there's not that much of the sweetness in this show. There's one work from '94 that has that, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, how is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I've had really bad reviews, but I also had like my gallerist in New York and my gallerist in Paris. They were always very, very supportive. This, in the same time, I had people that would get angry with my work, but I had a lot of support. Otherwise, I could not have kept uh, doing it. But do you like the the polarising response to your work? Do I like that? Do you embrace it? Is it something...? No, it's tough. Right. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if people... uh, Now I I wrote a a few... Like last month, I wrote uh, a piece myself about what happened... Uh, in '94, when I was getting very bad review in uh, in the Netherlands uh, about my pink exhibition, and uh, and I was reading the the review out loud to my friends last week. I had my birthday, and they were all like laughing and falling off their chairs. It was so amazing what was being. It was so below the belt, mm-hmm. yeah? mm-hmm. um, and um, now yeah, but but yeah, that is and then and my oh yeah, and I put above the text to be 
trashed and ridiculed because of pink. Oh. <laughs> and that is what, in fact, happened, right? Yeah. Because I was celebrating pink and I was celebrating curls. Mm. Um, and, and in fact, what I was doing was that I was... A lot of the things were low art, were... Um, the opposite of, uh, let's say, the modernism I was brought up in. And then it was female. Um, and then as a woman, I do think that you have the right to be female and be a pain in the ass and bring in new subject matter that nobody knows and that they think you are crazy. And this is a bit uh, how it's been for me. <laughs> and now I, I must say, that the Martin Clark who organized this exhibition with me. Uh, I did another exhibition with him uh, 10, 12 years ago in St. Ives. And I do remember that the wall text that Martin made, and that was the first time that uh, a man wrote about me, about my female work, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, wow, somebody is taking me serious. Mm. <laughs> that was really, really great because I must have missed that because I think people could not find the words to describe my work, but now I'm getting older, I'm finding the words, and I can also... It's also uh, when people, when it's something new as well, if you're presenting new ideas, often people just dismiss it, especially yeah. critics, actually. And um, I was looking the other day, a, a musician called Shirley Manson from Garbage posted this front cover of a magazine called Classic Rock, and it's a different genre because it's music. But they had the headline, was the front cover of the thing had Courtney Love, her and another musician. And it said, Courtney Love, why we choose to hate her? Um, Shirley <laughs> Manson, but is she actually any good? Question mark. And then Shirley said at the time in the 90s, all the reviewers were male reviewers slagging off all the women rock stars yeah. when they'd sold like millions of records, yeah. had numerous hit albums. You know, even Courtney Love brought in the colour pink, say, you know, and doll parts and all of these kind of um, feminist ideas that really reviled the men. The men just couldn't handle it. Yeah. And they would publicly sort of shame them on the front cover of magazines. And it's similar in the art world. And I think hopefully we're slowly but surely getting to a point where, you know, women are getting inequality in a, in, in a critic sense, I mean. Because I think pop music and contemporary art, the critics, there's a similar parallel. Well, women, women in the art world yeah. have always been overlooked yes. oh, yeah, before yeah, their yeah, male yeah. counterparts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so it's interesting that these things are changing now. Like in the early 90s, I, I had my girlfriend and we had a sort of club and then, uh, and then, but, and then we talked about how other female artists, they would not say, well, I'm not going to say that I'm a feminist because if, I'm, if I say that, I can forget about my work. But we were saying it out loud. But then, uh, yeah, but then that was not so easy. But yeah, we kept doing it. And now sometimes I also, I don't want to talk about it. Or no, because then it's so like, oh, again, again, again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carmen Herrera told that right, story yeah. that she had a, she shown her art to a gallerist in the 70s, female gallerist. And the female gallerist, when your art is incredible, you, you, you run rings around my male artists, but I'm not going to give you a show because you're a woman. And oh. she was shocked. She was like, that was a woman oh. to a woman oh. saying like this, like, in, like internalized misogyny within these women to the woman. She said she was so shocked that it oh. was like, she was saying you're better than all of them, but I'm not going to give you a show because oh. your gender. <gasps> and oh, she yeah, fought yeah. and fought. And then, you know, she had amazing success. RIP, the legend that is Carmen Herrera. But it was, it's like, it seems to be, yeah, I hope it's changing, you know, and we're seeing a lot now of female artists really 
being at the forefront, you being know, changing the, the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I do think they have the, the right or they must be pain in the ass and they must bring all the new subject matter in. And, and then it's subject matter that you don't understand that this can be subject matter. And, that, and then you have to just turn the button and, and, uh, and think, huh, yeah, okay, sweetness is not just really something silly, stupid, but maybe it is something silly, stupid, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I know, this is like, I, I remember that uh, I did my pink building in Hanover in 2000, and then I had a big article in the Frankfurter uh, Allgemeine, and it says, uh, Unbeschreiblich weiblich, and that is a song from Nina Hagen, um, you don't know Nina Hagen. You know? I know Nina no. Hagen. I, I it's know. a punk singer. Yeah, yeah Nina Hagen, yeah, yeah. and she has a song, and it's called "Unbeschreiblich Weiblich," yeah. and it means um, what does that mean? Uh, undescribably female, and mm -hmm. it's a real punk uh, song. And then I had this big headline, and I thought, oh, they got it. <laughs> <laughs> Progress. Yeah. Progress. Before we go on to our last questions, in this oh. exhibition, you've done an amazing brand new work, which is a kind of based on a kitchen, like a domestic space, and it even has pots and pans. Well, a kid's play kitchen yeah. that you found in a junk shop. quickly speak about the brand new work? Because I'm so excited about that one. Oh, the brand new work. It's a lot of work, that new work, and I first didn't want to do it, but the director here said I have to do it. And um, I bought a little kitchen in the, in the second-hand shop, um, thinking, oh, I, I want to do something with that. It's like a toy kitchen. Yeah, a toy yeah. kitchen. And um, and then later I regretted it. And then slowly, slowly, <laughs> yeah. I made another kitchen work eh, in, the, in the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles in 2015. And uh, so we quickly... And actually one of the works here has a, has a washing machine element to it, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Yeah. Uh, it's really boring, but I'm bringing all kind of domestic objects. In my yeah, like teapots. Yeah, 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 but so uh, no. Oh yeah, and this, this is your first institutional show in London. You had the institutional yeah. show at the Tates and Ives that was in the UK, or have you had any since then? No, no, none in uh, the UK. No, this was twelve years. And that's ago. Martin Clark, who now runs Camden. Yeah, Center and now he's one. asked me he's, again. He's your yeah. biggest champion. It's like he's a great. It's yeah. brilliant because I think yeah. there'll be a whole new audience yeah. of people oh, discovering the work. And I know yeah, it's going to bring people. I saw your work first. I was at, in Savannah at SCAD. Uh, ah. I was there seeing the artist Toyino Giordatola. Oh, yeah, I was going to show. And you had work in another room, and I remember stumbling across it for the first time and being completely blown away. And that was a study in pink. That was a huge pink. Ah, that, yeah, but that was a really great exhibition. Oh, it's I did, so uh, good. That was a really good yeah. exhibition. Everything fell together yeah, there. Wonderful. And I have that here in the book too. But mm, uh, but the her exhibition from New York, yeah. But uh, you asked about the kitchen. Yes, organized and tidy is an yeah, earlier the, mural. Yeah, I made another kitchen artwork in the Hammer uh, Museum in Los Angeles in 2015. And it was called, it was a big wall painting in the lobby, and it was called Tidy Kitchen. And um, and opposite to what most people thought, this was a celebration of domestic tasks. And um, and it was very exciting to put those words on the wall. Yeah, they're so powerful, the words. Uh, sticky, honey, where, bell. Where, 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 Dirty socking corner. Right? It's so that, brilliant. That like wooden spoon. Oh, no, no. That's my relationship. This Here we are, mildew on the shower curtain. It was, it was really exciting to put very big on a wall, washing and cleaning, organized and tidy. Because, um, oh no, it says organized, yeah, organized and tidy. And... 
Yeah, but talking about the romantic artist uh, is usually an artist that um, gets drunk and be very emotional and he splashes paint on the canvas. And But then there are also artists and also male artists that are not like that, yeah. that they are organized and tidy. Yes. And there's we have a right to exist too, right? And um, so this work is about that. So it's not a, a lamentation. It is a celebration, celebration of the of the, the domestic tasks and 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 more. I, I want to get paid for it. Look at this. Yeah, one. Right. So it's yeah, not yeah, a lament. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, crying, a crying for three hundred and twenty. This one reminds me of you. That, that one day. there, Rob, yellow Thanks, brown stain. I'm pulling out hairs <laughs> from the drain. Again, you. Smoothing the wrinkles. That reminds me of you, Russell. How dare you? Um, so, <laughs> our final <laughs> questions are if you could do an art heist and steal any artwork from around the world and we can help you, what would be an artwork that means a lot to you and that you'd, you'd love it so much that you'd take it home and steal it? Oh, steal it. Uh, nicely, steal it nicely. Nicely. Dyson is doing it. Yeah, I was thinking about it, but uh, I couldn't say, think. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't mind having a, a big, uh, a big uh, doodle, pink doodle from uh, Franz West uh, oh, in my cool. garden. <laughs> Love. Yes. A big well, he's pink a guy doodle. that loves pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And pink, Gustin Pink as well. And, and Gustin Pink. Yeah. And, and Carol Dunham. Do you? He's yeah. been influenced by your practice, I'm sure. He by by me. Yeah. Carol Dunham. Yeah, I would have thought so. But he was before me. Oh. oh. I'm sure he loves me. I can see a lot of... A lot of yes. <laughs> we think you're like-minded soul. Yes. If, and I think what, he's great. What is your favourite colour? Blue. Oh, straight in. Why blue? Blue eyes. Same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blue eyes. What have you got? What, blue eyes? No, I've got brown eyes, babes. Mm, what, you've got blue eyes? Yeah, I know. Oh, what, so you're trying to Lily make got, out... Me and Lily have got blue eyes. She, you, you prefer him than me, is what he's trying to get. To. <laughs> no, no, he's no, so I'm competitive, not saying that. I'm one. saying, I'm See, saying I like blue. She's not saying that. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever been given with regards to your art? Yeah, I have... Uh, the, uh, yeah, not an advice, but my first show with Hudson, and he, when I made my friendly good wall painting, and I was painting it on the wall, and Hudson was standing behind me, and he said, this you are going to do a lot. And he was uh, predicting. predicting. Yeah, 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 looking into the future. Yeah. He was looking into the future. Yeah. And I realized then that that is the moment that I started to do all my wall paintings. Wow. And that, uh, that's great. not advice, but it wasn't sort of advice, because I really loved him, Hudson, and uh, and... Many of my artworks in those years, I was making almost for him. Yes, oh, wow. I understand. To, so to, make, him, to make him, yeah, he gave me permission. Yeah, yeah. yeah. gave you the space, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. saying, go for, go for it, girl. It's amazing how that belief can really... <laughs> yeah. But now you give your, you and, yourself permission. Yeah. It's like he, Hudson gave you the permission at the beginning, and now you're at a stage in your career where you're giving your, you are the person that gives yourself permission. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's, he's sort of said to me, go, go for it. This is really great and this is, suits you very well. Because he knew that wall paintings he would not sell. Mm. Yeah. That, uh, but he just chose uh, to send that, those things to me. And then, uh, yeah. If you buy a wall painting, are they editions? Yeah. Are they you get a certificate? Editions. Yeah, you do get a certificate. You do get some paperwork. Mm. And is it a unique work or... or some of them are multiples, like the wonderful. We decided that that is a multiple work. Mm -hmm. Like I can sell it five times, but then, uh, but then other 
that's the only one. But uh, the other ones are always unique. Like wow. the 100% Stupid is a unique piece. And, and Valeria has now, as my assistant, uh, Amelia, who's upstairs yeah. now, she has repainted it. She repainted it yeah. recently in, in New, New York. York. Yeah, yeah was a, I saw photos. It was difficult. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and now I heard actually that Valeria wants to repaint that same wall painting in her house in Italy. Oh, no way. Okay, so that's, that's a great. Bit, that's going a to bit, all these different that's, a bit, that's a bit gossipy. I don't, I'm not sure if you <laughs> should color that. I love yeah, gossip. Yeah. That's wonderful. Love well, um, Lily, thank you so much yeah. for speaking to yes. us and congratulations on this exhibition. Yeah, I mean, it's called Thank it's not... You, Darling, and yeah. it's on until the 18th of September at the Camden Arts Centre and it's free, everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we will be coming back to see the actual finished installation because right now it's currently in progress. But we've loved speaking to you and we have so much respect for you and thank you for everything you've done you. to push art forward and take it to a new place. Yes. And we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.